Good morning, I am Jeremy Pleasant. I'm the senior pastor here at the Vineyard Church of Baton Rouge and I wanna welcome you. Um, so uh, last year or somewhere around then, I, I read this welcome statement that I, I, I took from a friend of mine, another church we work in, in Colorado. And I, I, I've updated it since then and I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm gonna read this out now, but this is something that we're gonna be talking every week because I want to express um, our, our, our true welcome for everyone here. So welcome to the Vineyard of Baton Rouge. Welcome to a place you belong. Welcome to a community of hope. You can be the furthest from God you can imagine. You can be a faithful follower. You can be looking for life. This place is for you. You can be a saint or a sinner, a loser or a winner. You can be lost, left over, adopted or abandoned. Whether you're divorced, LGBTQ, rejected, alone, or just someone who doesn't fit, welcome. You are welcome here because Jesus, our God, who became man, welcomed the least of these and everyone in between. We believe in radical acceptance, in radical transformation, and in radical reconciliation, practicing the radical love of God of, for everyone, no matter the cost. Welcome to the vineyard. So Sasha gave a few announcements, um, and I, I just want to kind of piggyback off of what she shared. Um, the Spirit and Life Night we have coming up, you know, I, I really want to invite you all to that. If, whether you've experienced it or not, this is a time to really experience the power of God in some dramatic ways. Um, it's kind of the best way I can explain it. Um, you know, the thing about this, this kind of this life of Christianity, the life, this life of, of, of living with God and learning to be like Jesus is that we actually don't do it in our own strength, is that we are actually empowered by the very God who came down here to do all of these things and to experience his love in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And then, so right after that, we have our serve, our, our serve Saturday, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about later. Um, but what's really cool is that that day is the MLK Serve Fest in Baton Rouge. And so there's going to be a lot of organizations, a lot of people serving that day, uh, looking at revitalizing and serving our community um, just in, in, in memory of, of MLK. And it's something that, you know, that's going to spark our outreach for this year. So it's, it's an exciting time, and I want to invite you all to it. And, and we're going to get more into that. But let's, let's dive in as... Uh, you don't want to be here until 1 o'clock, I'm sure, because, you know, there's football today. I get it. I get it. So as we reflect on, as we reflect on last year, right, um, I, I want to talk through some of, the, some of the things that, like, hey, these are some of our goals and what we tried to accomplish. You know, we wanted to continue to create a place where people from every phase of life could connect with God and experience God here on Sunday. Um, while also learning, developing, and being equipped and taught with the tools to become more like Christ, right? Like, and so that's kind of, we want to create that environment. And we're still doing this. We're going to continue to do this. That's not going anywhere. We, we have more and more work to do in that. Um, we also wanted to create a place to connect in deeper community. Um, I mean, the, the fellowship of the saints, as it's often called, is like so critical and, you know, a... a 
a very important thing that we see in scripture. And so we wanted to continue that effort. And so we spent a long time developing our VCs. And if you talk to people who are in VCs, I mean, it has been an amazing experience. And we want to continue that and continue to develop our community with one another. And then we're like, hey, how can we continue to experience God in, in powerful ways? And so, you know, we, we started Spirit and Life Night, and, but also in powerful ways like that become normal, like in communion, that we can actually experience God in just this normal way through this thousands-of-year-old practice of, of communion. That, and we just kind of say, okay, we're not going to ritualize this anymore, but we're going to make this a part of our weekly encounter with God. And then, of course, through our weekly worship and, and more. And so this year, we continue to strengthen and grow all of these things, right? We're not, like, leaving that behind and say, okay, that's done. We finished it. It's perfect. Like, no, that's not where we are. We're going to continue to strengthen these things, and we're going to grow in all of these areas. But we're also going to focus on some new things, okay? So we're going to be looking outward. We're going to be learning and developing and experiencing new life as God leads us towards passionate and sustainable compassion ministry. Okay? And so we're going to be equipped in evangelism and sharing in our faith and our stories like naturally with others so it doesn't become this overwhelmingly scared thing where you're like, ah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> we're going to actually do some, some training and equipment to like, hey, how do we do this in a natural way and, and, and invite people and, and, and help our community not only grow, but help others that we care about experience this life-changing God and gospel. So we begin this year, and we begin this series called The Gospel with the Poor. And so if you read our values at the entryway, so that, that, that little area right before in the, by the double doors, those are our five core values. And if you read one of them, it says that um, we are a church that's part of a movement that leans outward. And so we're going to talk about not only what that means, but where Jesus is leading us to and how our lives will be changed by it. Sometimes as we talk about these things around leaning outward, it feels like, oh, I have to, it's, it's, it's all about sacrifice and the things I have to give up. But what, what, what I've learned in the process and what I hope that we all can learn is that in that, we actually gain new life and more fulfillment and more satisfaction through our giving, because as we pour out, God pours in. So whenever we get into talking about compassion ministry and the poor, there are some things that we kind of mix up that create debates and even paralysis. And so I want to name those things right now so that we can together take this journey. Y'all with me so far? Okay, so... Can we go to that, to that next slide, please? So when we start talking about compassion ministry and the poor, certain, certain things come up, like the why. Okay, it's like, well, why do we do this? Why are people poor? Okay? And so to get into the why, you have to get into some theology. You got to get into sociology. You got to get into some history. Okay? Well, we're actually going to do that later this year in a class. We're not going to do that today. We're not, we're not talking about that today. We're not getting into the why today. But then what also comes up is the how. Let's go to the next slide, please. So that's what also gets, what comes up. And so the how, when you're talking about compassion ministry and the poor, also comes up. And we start looking at these things from a macro level, okay? We start looking at, like, 
the, the, when we say the poor, we're talking about everyone and, and everything, and both um, domestically and globally. And so now we're getting into policy and politics, which, which we're not going to get into, okay? And so when we mix these things up, we have like, oh, the why, you know, why are people poor to the how, to how do we do something about it? And so we kind of have these like, oh, these, these debates as far as, you know, what we do and what we shouldn't do and all these different things, okay? But that's when we start looking at this macro level thing. But we're not looking at the macro level. We're looking at the micro level. And so we have this third thing, the what. The what, working with the poor, is actually not a question. And that's actually not up for debate. Because what we see in scripture, what we see in Jesus, that he calls us to love and work with the poor. And so what we have to do is that what happens is that we kind of mix these three up in our minds, okay, and in our experience. And it's understandable. I've definitely done it. I mean, we've all done it because we have a lot of input from a lot of different areas and a lot of different things in, in our own experience. But we're not talking about the why right now. We're not talking about the how from a policy level. We're not getting into that. We're talking about the what, because that's really important. So what I want us to do is be able to separate those three things, okay? Because what happens as we talk about this, like different thoughts are going to start to happen, and you're going to have like different, different things are going to come up, and you're like, oh, well, that doesn't, you know, match this or this, you know. I, I want to separate that, and let's just focus on the what. Because we're focusing on our community. And so as we work towards this, it's about remaining focused on that and not the big picture, because God's kingdom is for all, but it's also for the one. And so we have to remember the one. We have to, we, we have to go to those places that are sometimes our theology and our policy don't allow us to go to. Does that make sense? Can, can, can we walk down there together? Okay. Let's look at Matthew 5, 1 through 3. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, I did the old school blessed, I just realized that, that's how internalized it is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's when you grow up in a certain kind of church. <laughs> blessed. Yes, Lord. <laughs> so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this is a confounding statement. <laughs> Like, so this starts what is famously called the Beatitudes, right? One of Jesus' most famous sermons, and what most scholars will agree is like the most important teaching that Jesus gave, and he starts with this confounding statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? And how is that even possible? So first, let's understand poor in spirit, okay? Now, this 
has multiple meanings. But something Eugene Peterson says, like, blessed are those who are at the end of their rope. Blessed are those when you have nowhere else to go. Now, in Luke's gospel, in this same teaching, so it's a parallel, right? So in Luke's version, when he heard it, it just said, blessed are the poor, right? And so often, because of our, just, because of the way that we understand things, we kind of separate, like, poor in spirit and poor. And so we separate kind of soul from, from, from material, but this, what Jesus is saying, really encompasses all of it. Blessed are those with nothing, so like the, the, the materially poor, but also blessed are those who are spiritually poor. Now, when I say spiritually poor, it's like I have nowhere else to go but God. Like my, 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 I, I have nothing else to lift me up. My spirit is low. And so what do I have? It's God. And so speaking of, let's let's look at God's view on this. And so we see Jesus saying this teaching, but I want to read what God says in Isaiah 57, 15. The one who is high and lifted up, who lives forever, whose name is holy, says, I live on high and holiness and also with the crust and the lowly reviving the spirits of the lowly, reviving the heart of those who have been crushed. God lives with the brokenhearted. God lives with those whose spirits are so low. And so Jesus say the poor are blessed because they're poor. He says the poor are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so as we talk about the kingdom of God, you know, we, we, you're going to hear that a lot. And, you know, we talk about it a lot. We're going to continue to talk about it. But, but Jesus is, like, less making a teaching right now and more making an announcement. He's, like, saying, this is how things are now. From here on out, blessed are the ones who are poor because they they get, the, they get the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? It's God's rule. And what happens in God's rule is that he revives the spirit of the lowly. And God's rule, the poor are lifted up. And God's rule, he lies with the brokenhearted. He sits with the crushed. He thinks about those who have nothing. So God's kingdom is, is, is this life of the ages, this life to its fullest. Jesus says, I've come that they would have life and life to its full. That is the kingdom. And it's a kingdom that, that it, it comes and then it's also not fully here yet, right? And so there's this, the kingdom of God is, is, is this understanding that when Jesus came, he brought in God's way of doing things. But we won't see that in its fullness till later, but we get to see expressions of it now. And what, what Jesus is saying here is them, the low in spirit, the poor in spirit, the poor, they get to experience the kingdom of God first. I think this kingdom is something we all want. What this teaches is that those who have nothing 
those who are low in spirit are blessed because that poverty draws them to God and puts their dependence entirely on God. That's what this passage teaches, one of the many things, is that the poor in spirit are blessed because they have nowhere else to go, so they go to God. I think something, there's something there we can learn about that. We want to inherit the kingdom. We want to be, we want to experience the kingdom of God. We have to learn how to find our dependence on him. There was this time when Jesus was, was teaching. He did a lot of that. And uh, he had this really difficult teaching. And you may or may not remember this story. And so after he did this teaching, the disciples, many of the disciples were like, this is a very hard thing. And they left. They left. And so he turns to the 12, to like his core disciples. And he says, so y'all going to go too? Not like an accusatory way, but it's like, are are you also going to leave? And you know what the response was? Where would we go? You alone have the answers to this life. Where else would we go? We have nothing else. Where else would we go? It's interesting that certain disciples that John, that, that Jesus chose, those particular 12, he didn't choose the brightest, the most fit, the best equipped. He chose the ones at the bottom of the rung, the ones who didn't get to college. That's who he chose as his core disciples. They're like, where else will we go? We have nothing else. We have nowhere else. There's a story in Luke 18. There's this um, young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? How do I, how do I experience this kingdom that we've all known about, that, I, that, that, that I've heard about my whole life? How do I experience this? And Jesus said, go sell everything you have. No, no, I'm sorry. Go give everything you have to the poor and come and follow me. And he walked away sad because he had so many things. Now, to be clear, I'm not asking you to go give everything you have away to the poor right now. But this shows us how dependence on other things makes it very difficult to experience the grace and freedom and love of God. God doesn't withhold those things from us because we have material possessions. What he's saying is that when we have our dependence on these other things, we miss this kingdom that he has for us. I think that's something all that we all can, can begin to work towards. After that happened, it sounds like, well, if, if, if this dude can't get in, it's got to be impossible. And Jesus is like, yep. Except when you depend on the grace of God. 
except when that becomes your source. You know, there's a reason this series is called The Gospel with the Poor and not two or four. It's a gospel with the poor. See, too often we orient in the same ways our systems do. Rich over poor, this type of person over this type of person. And look, we, we wouldn't like say that explicitly, but it's the kind of the way our systems work and it's the way our, we, what we were born into and what we've internalized. And so it's something that we have to be able to acknowledge and, and begin to work through. I used to get so frustrating. I'd, I'd be in these groups. Um, back when I was working uh, in, in, in film and music, and, and I'd be in these groups at a meeting or something, and like no one would pay me any attention. I couldn't get the time of day from anyone. I was just like, I was just nobody. And, and then we'd introduce ourselves, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the music supervisor on this project. And all of a sudden, I had that title. Oh, we should talk to him. You're important. Let me get your number. It's like all of a sudden I became human because of my job. That was ridiculous. And it happened over and over and over again. And so it's something that we just, that it's, it's just kind of in our culture. And so we have to be willing to, like, let's acknowledge it, right? Like, let's name it and say, okay, yeah, this thing is real. We do have different value systems for, for different types of people. Like, it's not written that way in the book, but that's kind of how we act. And so we have to be able to recognize that so we can do this work in ourselves. Like, begin to say, okay, what, what, when I see people, when I talk to people, what, what, what value system is going on right now in my mind? And so when we're talking about like, oh, this gospel with the poor, we also have to recognize that it's the poor that tend to end up being at the bottom of, of, that, of that rung, right? And again, let's, let's take out all these other things, the, 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 the why and the how, and let's focus on the what, okay? It's the, it's, it's the poor who are at the bottom. And so how do we orient there? And look, there, there, there are going to be others who here who like have a heart for the poor and, and, and want, to, want to work with the poor and, 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 and all of these things. And, and, and it's great, but what happens is also because of our culture and, and kind of where we grew up and all, and, and all of this, we end up having these kind of savior mentalities. Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go save this person. I'm going to go fix this person. There's a show... I used to love called Lie to Me. And uh, it, was, it was a great show. Zach knows what I'm talking about. He just, he just pumped two hands in the air. And it's, it's, it's a brilliant show. And in one episode, um, one, of the, one of the leads was talking to the, this group of firefighters. And she was like trying to get them to, to understand like how they, why they shouldn't just rush in. She was like, more firefighters die in the US than everywhere else because of our savior complexes. 
because we kind of have this, this innate thing that we have to save everyone. Now, I'm not immune to that. <laughs> like, I'm not like talking at you saying, oh, you got to, like, no. I've had to work through all of that myself. But what happens is when we have kind of that understanding, that mentality, it becomes about like fixing someone and fixing their problems. And what I want us to do and what Jesus teaches us is to actually partner with people, to walk with them, to let them see this gospel alongside, because that's what, that's what Jesus did. And it's hard for us to, to, to orient that way, but as we begin to do that, we, we start to realize that not only am I giving something, but I'm also receiving something. Because as we learn about this partnership with the poor, we realize I have a lot to learn. Yes, I have a lot to offer, but I have a lot to learn. In Luke 12, Jesus and the disciples are in the temple, and they're doing the offering, and all of these people are giving these large sums of money more just to show how much they have. And then this widow comes. She has two pennies. That's all she has. And she gives those two pennies into the offering. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, this woman here has given far more than anybody else because they give out of their wealth. She gave everything she had. I think there's something to learn in that. There's two, Jesus was walking back into the town with the disciples. And there were these two blind, blind men who were outside of the town and they were beggars because back in the day, there was no disability. <laughs> if, you had a, if you had a disability, you just had to beg. And uh, so they, they were just begging to, to, uh, to, 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 get, to get food and they scream out. They heard that Jesus was coming, right? They can't see him. So they heard Jesus was coming, and they scream out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And everyone's telling them to shut up. <laughs> and they just scream louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And then Jesus calls them over, and, and he heals them of their blindness. What's interesting about that story is that they didn't call him Jesus, son of Joseph, they said, Jesus, son of David. And so what they were saying is, Jesus, we recognize you as the Messiah. Come and help us. We recognize you as the Savior. How is it that the poor recognized Jesus as the Messiah before the church folk did? Because the church folk surely did not. They killed him. The poor recognized Jesus before the church folk did. Is there something we can learn in that? Is there something that happens when we begin to partner with the poor? 
instead of trying to fix things. Y'all with me so far? I gave this quote a few months ago, but I'm, I'm going to come back to it. Jackie Pollinger, a British missionary to China, to Hong Kong, I'm sorry, said, go first with your feet and then with your voice. And this is someone who lived in the walled city, which you can go look up if you don't know what that is. Doesn't get much more impoverished than that. She said, go first with your feet and then with your voice. We go first with our feet and then with our voice because people need to know that there's a God that loves them. And we don't shout it from the street corner. We demonstrate it from the street corner. We show them that love by loving them. It's one thing to say it. It's a whole other when I, when I do it. Then there's the poor who, who know and love Jesus. And we go first with our feet and then our voice because there's something we can learn about knowing and loving and depending on Jesus. There's something we can learn about what it means to have nothing and yet still have joy. There's something we can learn about being crushed and yet still having hope. And yet, sometimes I'm just confounded by that. Like, how is that possible? I've learned it through my friends and, and, and my partners who we would consider poor. So this is more than us saying, hey, we got to do more things, right? This isn't just that. We're saying God is calling us. God is calling us to partner with those whom he loves dearly the despised, the rejected, the invisible, he sees. And this can only happen as we get close. We just can't do it from a distance. I love reading. I cannot read enough books to understand what this really means. When God decided he wanted to save humanity, he didn't do it from heaven. He did it from the ground. And so whatever our reasonings, whatever our politics, let's come back to the center and say, okay, I'm going to get close. And I'm going to see what God has for them, but also for me and how my life will be changed by it. Amen? So that's practical tips. <clears throat> Meditate on Psalm 34, 18 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 this week. 
Now, I chose those particular scriptures because this poor in spirit phrase is the same one Greek-wise that's used in these two scriptures. And so I want us to just spend some time with it. And the thing, when it comes to, to, to mercy and, 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 and justice and, and the poor and all these things, too often it, it's easy to become like guilty over certain things. And so when we feel guilty, then we try to justify, and then it just ends up this, and it, that's not what we're going for here, and that's not what this is intended to do. We all have a journey. And so what I want us to do is say, okay, what is this next part of the journey that God has for me, but then also for our community? Because it's a journey that we're all on. And some people have different struggles, right? And so some people are going to struggle with even getting close. Others are going to struggle with kind of, a, kind of that more of that savior mentality that I talked about. Like, and so we're all going to have different struggles in different places we're at. The point is that we all take this journey without guilt, without shame, but with mercy and with grace. Answer these questions in a journal or with someone else. What is my relationship with the poor at this time? How is God calling me to see and relate to the poor in spirit. All right, number two. Recognize some things in your life that you depend on constantly. Write those down and observe where you depend on that more than God. Seek God in prayer for his guidance and strength to depend on him. This is like one of those hard ones because you're like, like I think about, so as I was, I was working on this, but I'm like, one of those things that like I depend on is like my car. Because <laughs> like I've gone <laughs> in Baton Rouge without a car. It is very hard. <laughs> Life was very hard for that year and a half. And it's just like, man, I would do anything <laughs> to keep my car running. That's an indication for me. Am I depending on my car more than God? Like, it seems a little bit, like, simple, but that's where we start. Like, would I actually be able to trust God if I didn't have a car anymore? Are those memories from when I didn't have it and how much I struggled going to be more powerful than my hope and trust and faith in God? Has having one for so long lessened my dependence on him? So that's just, just a simple example that I hope we can all begin to engage with. Because as we are willing to do this work, I'm telling you, our lives will be transformed by it. All right, I'm going to call Liz up, and she's going to lead us into communion. All right, you guys, if you could stand with me. Um, we have two more songs, and we have communion available during those songs. We practice open communion, so 
feel free to come to the table. We have two on either side of the stage, one in back, and they are all gluten-free. Um, <clears throat> so this morning when I was in here praying before, before service, um, I had the word light just come to my mind, and I was thinking about that. And then um, I heard it in a, f in a few of the songs, and I just wanted to share with you this morning um, that Jesus is the light of the world. And if you've received Jesus as your Savior, he floods your light, your life, with light. And, and when you come to the table this morning, I want you to receive more of that light. Wherever there is darkness lingering in your life, you know, situations, um, sin, whatever struggle, trial that may be happening where it just feels like the darkness kind of creeps into your spirit and in your soul, receive the light of Christ. Abundant light is yours. Like when you walk out on a sunny Louisiana morning and you're like, oh, it's so blinding. That's the light of Christ in your spirit that you've received. And um, after communion, we have prayer time. Come and get prayer if you feel like you need to just have a fresh dose of light wash over you. Christ is here to give that to you. People are here to bless you with that. Um, so this morning, for <clears throat> on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So receive the death and the life and the light of Christ this morning. <clears throat> 